It's an unfamiliar topic to a lot of us. In fact, I had to kind of look up what the definition of court debt was when that term first kind of came to me. But what we found in, in two areas of our clients, one, we do some bankruptcies for the working poor, for people who have a garnishment and they don't earn a lot of money, but enough to be garnished. And so when I was managing that project, I noticed that a lot of our clients, we'd get their credit report and we'd get a list of their debts, but almost all of them had what we term as court debt. They owed a ton of money to municipal courts. And most of that debt was actually dischargeable in bankruptcy because it considered a civil debt. Only the portion related to fines was sort of a penalty or criminal debt that couldn't be discharged. And so we we wondered, wow, this is really pervasive. And then the other place I saw it is when we started doing criminal record sealing for folks or what people understand is expungement. And we were rejecting over half of the people that came in because they weren't eligible because they had court debt. And so if you still owe fines, you are ineligible to even start the clock ticking on when you can get your record sealed. So the law is changing in that regard, and we'll, we'll be putting out something about that. But if you have a year waiting period to get your record sealed, but you haven't paid your fines off, that year doesn't even start. And then the third area, we started going back and looking at how can we address this? And we realized that you hear the term debtor's prison. And in many of our courts in our eight county region, you could make the case for that. Luckily, Akron wasn't that way. But often people, if they didn't pay, they were ordered to come in for a hearing. And sometimes they didn't show up for the hearing. So they had warrants put out, they're arrested. And most of this was really civil debt. And Ohio has kind of an odd statute that says, if you make any payment on your court debt, that payment first goes to the cost. And so you never address the fines or the punitive thing until you've paid off everything in what's considered a civil debt. And so the net result of that was that a lot of people were getting arrested and picked up with the bulk of it being the civil debt portion. I'm understanding it intellectually, but I don't personally, and I think probably a, a lot of people that are listening don't really have any actual personal understanding of what it even means to owe the court yeah. money. I mean, the only time I've ever owed the court any money is if I got a traffic ticket and like they sent me a ticket in the mail or I got a ticket on the windshield of my car and I just sent them a hundred bucks or whatever it was. And that was that. So that was it. Right. I don't really understand why you even get court costs or, I mean, mm -hmm. I know why you get fines for certain things, but I don't really understand the court cost part. I wonder if you could explain that. Yeah, it's a good point. And I've had my share of speeding tickets and, and those of us that earn a living wage, you know, I think it's never easy to necessarily to come up with that hundred, 150 bucks when you get pulled over, but we do it, we pay it. But the working poor, it becomes very difficult. And so often that $150 ticket that would have cost me ends up costing them uh, even in the thousands because they can't pay it right away. And so they get assessed collection fees, they get assessed uh, payment plan fees. Often then if they don't meet those deadlines to get that paid, their license can be suspended. That creates another, then they drive because they got to make a choice. Do I go to work? Do I not? 
And so it's a spiraling effect. And so it's not uncommon. I, I was just talking to uh, a municipal court judge a couple of days ago, and he was saying that he had a guy that had, I think, $8,000 in court debt, you know, and he had all these cases that came through. And of course, the judge was kind of mad that the guy hadn't made payments, but it gets to a point where it becomes overwhelming for a lot of folks. And so they just don't pay anything and they continually, it spirals. And so it adds some courts, you know, you could have several hundred dollars in court costs for a regular ticket, you know, and the fine could be very minimal. And so I was just talking to the judge the other day about that, where he'd heard about that. So there's a lot of fees being added. And the interesting thing, Jeannie, is that it seems to apply mostly to our municipal courts. When we go to the common police court and we ask them sometimes to waive the debt that somebody owes because we want to try to get their record sealed and there's no way they're going to pay this and we need them to get this sealed so they can get a job or get a better job. The common police courts have been more than willing to waive those. And sometimes those costs are pretty high depending on the nature of the trial and all the costs that get added copy fees. There's fees that go to everyone in these cases. Municipal courts, it's a different story. The municipal courts seem to this somewhat of a revenue generating piece for them. And so I think that it's really interesting to see how much is there. And of course, it does have racial impacts to it because it certainly, we know that whether it's explicit or implicit bias, that people of color sometimes are targeted, their neighborhoods are targeted a little more for enforcement. They get pulled over for things that may be a pretext, and maybe there's a good reason we're trying to get drugs off the street and all that, but they get cited for minor violations at a higher proportion than those of us who live maybe in the suburbs. And so it does impact our minority community to a greater extent. So what other than a speeding ticket might you wind up in court for there where there would be court costs? Most of the court debt that we're looking at here arise out of the criminal justice system. A lot of minor drug offenses that we see, of course, you know, it, it can range from anything to minor cases to serious cases that have court debt. But amazingly, so many of our clients end up in that criminal justice system. And so many alcohol, drug offenses, they have offenses where a neighborhood dispute, there, there's just a litany of things that, again, yeah, the the worst I've ever had, I, I had speeding tickets and I paid those, but, uh, you know, our clients who tend to come to legal aid have had some challenges and they run into difficulties. And what we're doing, I think, with this court debt is we're just adding substantial hurdles for them to try to dig out and to make a better life for themselves. Right, right. Now, maybe just one more question, and that would be in the piece you wrote on your website about this kind of court debt spiral, you indicated that there are some courts in our area and beyond that have come up with creative ways, different ways for people to discharge their debt other than coming up with the cash. And I wonder if you could talk about those. Yeah. So some of our courts, certainly community service can be an option for some courts where you can work off your debt. Although I hesitate to sort of push that because there have been some studies that in some of our Southern states where 
community service is being used and you actually have people working like cotton fields that you know, their ancestors were slaves at. And so it's not a good look and it certainly can be used in a bad way. But some of our courts will say, look, if you meet with this group that can help address your anger issues or your alcohol or substance abuse issues, if you make some affirmative steps to do something to better yourself, I will take off a hundred dollars of court debt for every meeting you go to. And so there, there's creative ways to do that. And I think there's some that also have said, if you pay X amount or you just make a payment, I'll, I'll take more off than that. Just show me some kind of effort to do that. Some judges have utilized the provision in the statute that allows the judge to say any payments first coming in will apply to the fines, to the punitive piece of it. But the judge has to actually specify that. Otherwise, the default under the law from the clerk of court's perspective is it goes to the civil portion. And so at least they get the punitive piece out of it. And so there are ways, certainly, I think we've evolved a little bit with what make sense. And our license bureau, they have a lot of amnesty programs out there where if you owe so much in reinstatement fees, you pay a little bit, we'll give you amnesty, you can get your license back because it makes sense to do that. Child support agencies we've seen over the past 10 to 20 years, maybe really the last 10 years, switch from the idea of sort of automatic license suspension if you don't pay your child support to doing that on a much less frequent basis, really focusing on the the, uh, repeat offenders or those that are self-employed and kind of working the system, they realized that massive license suspension was counterproductive because it caused people to lose their jobs and they couldn't pay their support. And I think some of this with the court debt is the same. It's just not productive. Some studies show we spend more money trying to collect the debt than we actually get in. And so there are ways, different ways to look at it. Well, it's a good conversation to have once we start this conversation. Where can it go next? I mean, you did mention that some of the courts, uh, and we don't have to name names, but some of the courts are using it to raise revenue, just like some towns use tickets to raise revenue. So obviously there's something in it for them. But you also mentioned that sometimes collecting it costs more than they make. So if it's really coming out to be a wash, maybe there's some kind of reasonable conversation to have with whoever's in charge of the policy, right? Yeah, yeah, I think that's the case. And again, it's kind of spiraled. You see a lot of the staffing of municipal courts, uh, a lot of it is is for their collection department. Uh, they have huge collection departments. And a lot of that then gets turned over to, to the attorney general. And so you wonder, is that the best use of our public dollars to do that. And so I think as more awareness comes to this, um, hopefully we'll have more sensible policies. Okay. Okay. So who do we need to write to to change this? I mean, is this like a state statute that could be changed? Because obviously it would be a big endeavor to like literally walk over to every courthouse in town and ask them to stop doing it. I mean, there would have to be some sort of directive from somebody. I don't know. Would it be the Ohio Supreme Court or would it be the legislature? You know, the, the Ohio Supreme Court did put out some pretty strict guidance over the past couple of years because some of the courts were abusing, were really ordering, maybe crossing that border on sort of imprisoning people for not paying debts. And so there was some guidance that came out. It was pretty strict. I think some of the judges, there have been some that 
I've seen ethics opinions on it. And so the Supreme Court is one area. We're not allowed as legal aid since we get some federal money to advocate for legislative change. But all I can do is say what I think impact of, of some of this would be on our client population. And certainly if there were changes to it, I think you would see there would be, I think more, there's so many jobs out there now. We don't want to put people, put barriers in the way, you know, where more things add to people losing their driver's license, you know, when they can just go out and get these jobs. So I, I just don't think the system the way it is now is logical. You know, it's really kind of gone too far. And so if there are some reasonable measures taken to kind of scale back this massive court debt issue, I think it'll benefit us all. Right, right. I mean, because I can't imagine that, at least to me, it sounds reasonable that we would want people to pay their fines and we would want people to pay core costs, but we wouldn't want them to have to pay so much that it would cause them to go bankrupt or lose their job or lose their license because then how the heck are they going to pay their other costs? So to me, that sounds like a reasonable approach. It's just, as they say, the devil is always in the details. It's like, who's going to make them do it? And Who's going to decide what's reasonable and what's not? So I guess it's good to start having the conversation and to have people in the community saying, well, yeah, I agree with that or whatever, and then have them write letters, I suppose. I suppose that's the way one would do it. So anyway. I think so. Yeah. 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 I think you raise a good point. I mean, it's not, we don't want to promote irresponsible behavior. You know, there's a balance there, but it certainly was an issue that was under the radar for us. And now we've recognized it. So we're just trying to put it out there. 